Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of Turned at a Punk Splits. Today on the show, two longtime friends of this podcast, two IRL friends of each other and mine, and also uh, uh, just uh, two all-around great dudes, Jay Maskus and Fred Armisen are on the show today. More on that in one second. If you want to get in touch with me, find me at Left for Damien. Find Turned at a Punk on everywhere you look for it, at Turned at a Punk social media platform wise i play in a band we are called fucked up we are going on tour with the mighty super chunk by the time you listen to this we are already on tour so check your local listings if you're on the west coast of the united states or or in canada and i'd love to see you there we'll talk about this episode and, and catch up in real life uh, we are now doing this episode today though in celebration of the brand new release of what do we do now Jay's new solo record available today if you're listening to this when this episode drops on Sub Pop Records. Everywhere you find music, uh, you will have, of course, been familiar with the video for Can't Believe We're Here, which I think was the very first single that they released. They released a couple singles off this record. Fantastic record. Amazing record. But if you saw the video for Can't Believe We're Here, you will have noticed that myself and Fred Armisen are both I'm going to say featured heavily in that video. I'm going to say we may, we might steal that video, you know? So what better three people to get together for this podcast in celebration of Jay's new record than Fred, myself, and of course, the mighty, mighty Jay Maskus. Uh, this is a fun conversation. This is exactly what a real-life conversation between uh, the three of us sounds like. If you want a complete opposite version of a three-person conversation... Uh, listen to that Scotty Karate and uh, Tony from Municipal Waste episode. It's just polar opposites from this conversation. But uh, uh, both are great conversations in their own way. Fred Armisen, of course, is, you know, there's tons of stuff going on. There's a Wednesday spinoff uh, of Uncle Fester that apparently is in the works. Uh, there is a, uh, a, a Brittany Howard, Zach Galifianakis, Fred Armisen thing called Thelma the Unicorn that's coming out. There's... Uh, like also Fred is constantly working, constantly doing stuff. He is one of those people that is far too good, big, <laughs> busy for this podcast yet always seems to make time for this thing. So check out all the stuff Fred does. And if Fred comes to your town and does comedy for musicians and everybody else, I, I, go check out that show. It is hilarious. Lots of good punk references in that as well. Uh, I'm not going to ramble on anymore. Check out Dinosaur Jr. Check out Jay Maskus. Check out the new solo record. Check out Fred Armisen. Check out Fucked Up. Just check all of it out. Sit back, relax, and enjoy this, though. It's a good one. I'll I'll cut out, too, so that you guys can have the rest of your bland interview (laughs) at some point. (laughs) Just like at that no effects, uh, oh, sorry, the punk museum thing where you're like, yeah, I'm getting out of here. Fat Mike is just too much to deal with. I got to get the fuck out of here. No, I really did have to go. I, I know. I don't believe me. But I, w- I think that was also a very convenient um, uh, time to leave, too, because Mike was on one that day. He, <laughs> he gets a weird energy around me. Have you ever met Fat Mike, Jay? No, never. Nor have I heard his music. You've never heard no effects? I don't think so. Whatever. 
Sing me a song. I'll see if I've heard it. He spent 15 years getting loaded, 15 years till a liver explode. Now what's Bob going to do now that he can't drink? No. No. Haven't heard it. Well, that's it. They, they, that's the only song that you would have heard by them. I would have thought back in the day, but I guess you weren't never, you were never really a Mystic fan, Mystic Records. Yeah, I don't really know much about Mystic. That's like Graham scene. Right? Definitely. Definitely like, uh, yeah, Oxnard, Nardcore. You know, like yeah. the Ill Repute. You probably have the Ill Repute 7 inch RKL. No. Do you like any of that stuff, Fred? Yeah. I, I don't know it that well, but, uh, but no effects. I remember, um, like when you know when they were like pumping out those hits. I guess I'd, I'd call them. But yeah, Epifat, the Epifat years. It was, yeah. um It was the time when, like, yeah, Southern California. And it's so interesting because that music in Southern California was like was super popular. Like that was like like everyone listened oh, yeah. to that stuff there. Yeah, didn't yeah, it was didn't huge. like GBH play to like ten thousand people or something in LA, in Orange County. Those Olympic Auditorium shows where it was like yeah. thousands and thousands of people. Like you see that Minor Threat video, and it looks like they're playing to like an arena. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, it's it's just it's interesting how like G, the geography um, changes it so much, and like the way punk was taken up, like the way certain sounds kind of hit. And now, especially when you're like traveling around and you see kind of this, you know, worldwide gentrification that's going around where like almost every country in every city has the same stores, has the same kind of uh, like architecture now and kind of the same sort of like feel in a weird way. But back then, like a couple miles changed the world and, and completely changed the way the band sounded. Right. Definitely. It's, it's just like the uh, anyway. We're getting super depressing off the bat. Thank you guys for coming <laughs> here, Fred and Jay, my uh, two guys that I associate with each other because Fred, both you and I were were camp counselors at the Dinosaur Junior Summer Camp. Oh, uh, yeah. yeah. And um, I've known Jay a long time now, which is crazy to think that it's already a long time. But um, yeah, I've known each other a while. I think we're born. In the same year, or maybe not. I'm born in 66. I'm 65, yeah. Uh, okay, close enough. Yeah. Like, what was the first time you saw Dino back in the day, Fred? I saw them at the Metro in Chicago. I think it was like 89 or something like that, 89 or 90. Um, yeah, somewhere in, somewhere in there. And it was great. I loved it right away. And then I remember really liking interviews with Jay. I would, I would, he'd say all these funny things and it was always that, that part of it was really entertaining too. I feel like I, you know, I mean, I'm sure I know everyone understood it, but there was something I understood about it. I remember one time he was talking about being on the phone. He likes having a headset so he could play guitar. Right. And something about it. I, I don't know. That was just like such a <laughs> cool, cool, cool thing to say. And, and, you know, the funniest yeah, oh go on jay oh i wish i had a headset right now that'd be awesome yeah what happened to the funniest thing i think i've ever heard jay say is we're walking in toronto and there's a group of like pro-life protesters set up on the corner just harassing people 
um, and they go up to me and then I'm just like, oh, fuck off. And they go up to Jay and they're like, can we talk to you about your thoughts on abortion? And Jay's like, I only support it till the child's two years old. (laughs) (laughs) The person's face was amazing. (laughs) Where was this? In Toronto. We were like walking. Uh We went on a crazy walk, right? Like you're, you're getting a bike to go on a, a, a big bike trip. And so we walked like, we must have walked like five kilometers. Four or five blocks at least. <laughs> yeah. The Toronto blocks, yeah. which are much bigger than an American block. Um, we like went on this crazy walk and ended up walking through a pro-life protest and, you know, went to, went to some record stores. It was a, it was a fun afternoon. You know, like when you, sometimes you get those days when you're on tour where you actually just get to go and do something. It's rare, but it's, yeah. it's so welcome. When you bike. I know. I was trying to bike around New York, and it was a bit gloomy. Yeah. Yeah, it's a hard city to bike in. Yeah. Like, and people do it, though. It's like a big bike city, but it seems dangerous. Yeah. Do you rent a bike when you go to New York? I brought one. I usually bring them. Because if our equipment's going, I'll just throw it in with the equipment. Yeah, that's a good idea. Yeah. I like to try and go to museums when we're on tour and we get a day off. They're like always free in Europe, too. Keeps me out of the record stores, which is always a problem on tour. Yeah. Aren't the museums, though, all booked up these days? Like you have to make reservations and stuff? Like, I, I don't know. I think it's all gone back to normal. Maybe for some of the, like the huge museums. And stuff like that or like maybe like uh the louvre or something like that but uh i don't know i find there's always like an interesting museum i went to uh now i'm blanking on her name an incredible illustrator in uh, cologne germany on i think it was the second last tour and i just walked by this place and they had museum here sandwich board outside and i just went in and yeah stuff blew me away and it was also funny because it was all shit that had been ripped off on punk and hardcore records. I'm like, oh, I know this woodcut from this record, and I know this woodcut from mm-hmm. that record. It was, uh, you know, it's amazing how punk pillages graphic arts from different points in history. Yeah, it's easier than making your own. Yeah, it's true. You guys always made your own. You always had kind of unique graphics, even like back in Deep Wound, like a slug ice cream cone. That, you can't find that. That's not stock images. No, that was a photo shoot. Yeah, I remember that. I didn't want to hold the cone, but um, I don't know if I don't think I even took the picture, but it was gross because we put the slugs in the ice cream cone and then watch them come out. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You know what blew my mind uh, going back to that Dinosaur Junior summer camp, which was two of the best weekends of my life. But uh, one year you did it, Fred. And yeah. the next year, uh, Tim Meadows did it. And you guys have worked together and are both big Dinosaur Junior fans. And yet, I don't think I've ever talked about it. Um, Tim and I, 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 I don't think we've ever talked about it. But because, um, you know, we didn't overlap on SNL. We were like on two different casts. So uh, I feel like I always heard about him going to shows. Like there'd be like a Mekons show or something. And I heard that he was at it. So it was more like that. Like it was like, you know, uh, 
I was aware that he was a fan as well. Um, hey, like even the Mekons, because you were in the Mekons. I just played, I just filled in a little bit. I wasn't like a member member, but I just played a little bit. And um, that, that was in Chicago. Um, and then, yeah, because I think Tim came through there for like Second City stuff. But um, but every time I see him, it's always, you know, it's it's always great to see him. Uh, but we haven't talked about Dinosaur Jr. I, um, yeah, I don't think it's come up, but it's like, it's one of those things you just almost take it for granted. I feel like maybe it's just a sign of my mental health that it would be the first thing that I'd find a way to bring <laughs> up to somebody. <laughs> well, we've got this other layer first of SNL stuff. Like that's always yeah. like hours of conversation. Yeah, jeez. And, and then then you get to like all the music stuff. Yeah, I get that, and I guess mine. I just don't have anything else in my life but this. <laughs> like <laughs> this is really it. Please yeah, but this. when you and I talk, when whenever, like when we were at the punk punk rock museum, we get into it right away. Oh yeah, yeah. I feel like you're, the, you know, and I and I'm very sorry for this, but you're one of the few people that I know gets excited about punk rock, and maybe you're just doing it to humor me. In which case, you no. oh do no, a no, fantastic no 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 job. No no no, it's real. Okay, well you're the one of the few people I know that when I send this stuff to is always like, that's fucking awesome. There's a lot of people that are just like. Oh my God. I, like Jay, you know, one in 10 gets a response from Jay when I send it to him. <laughs> well, you know, you have a vast knowledge of punk I've never heard of. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but I was thinking, you went to shows occasionally in New York, Jay, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. So there's a possibility you guys were at some of the same shows together at one point because Fred is a New York hardcore kid. Really? Yep. How about a uh, minor threat at Irving Plaza? I remember going to that. No, uh, I missed that. I missed minor threat. You were been to 83 would have been your kind of like, you know, because that's when KGB forms, yeah. right? Yeah. How about uh, UK subs and anti-nowhere league? No, I love the anti-nowhere league. I, I remember I love that album, but where did they play? I don't know. I feel like maybe it was a peppermint lounge or something. Oh, that sounds right. I went to go see at the Beacon Theater, Dead Kennedys, and uh, it was like a long MDC. It's an MDC, Dead Kennedys. Um, a bunch of bands played, and it was gigantic. But it re that really felt like that where the Dead Kennedys were really huge. That's agnostic front i think agnostic front played that's an anti-reagan tour right i think i'm not sure my uh, first new york punk show was anti-pasti <laughs> oh that's sick <laughs> well fred actually opened for murphy's law and gbh at rock hotel i believe right yeah right. yeah oh wow yeah and i brought it up to jimmy gestapo the other day i'm like do you remember the man the kgb He's like, yeah, of course. And like starts talking about KGB. I'm like, you know, that's Fred Armisen on drums. And he blew his fucking mind. Wow. <laughs> he was very shocked by that, but had very fond memories. Hazy, but fond memories of the KGB. Yeah. And and Vic, the, the guitar player from KGB, winds up playing guitar in Chaos UK in the 90s. Oh, okay. wow. Which is which is, you know, rare, but that's actually 
arguably the best period for Chaos UK. Wow. <laughs> I'm being dead serious. I know it's like down in problem. <laughs> they got super awesome in the 90s and they went over to Japan wow. and they did like a bunch of, they did a split with Death Side that's, that's phenomenal. And they just kind of like became, I don't know, not necessarily part, but they did a couple tours in Japan with like all these sort of like early Japanese Burning Spirits bands and, and just like raging kind of Japanese hardcore bands. So they had like a, an interesting second act when Vic was playing with them. Hmm. I was not aware of that. I just had like one single, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> That's the problem is I can't stop at one. You know, they're like, uh, you know, what are those lace potato chips? And you yeah. just have to keep going. Well, the uh, the thing that prompted this discussion that with Jay and I today, Fred, other than your new solo record, Jay, but don't worry, I'll I'll, I'll sell that in the wraparounds for this. Is yeah. the uh, Jay sent me a list of from sounds of the all top 10 top 100 sorry all-time punk records which got me to go through and find a couple other lists pusshead johan kugelberg's uh rolling stones and uh and uh spin so i figure we don't we don't have to go through all of them right and and is this like was this jay's picks for the top 100 or these are just in general well, this is a very important list for Jay, right, Jay? Yeah, this was in a, a magazine called Punk's Not Dead that Sounds put out with Wadi on the cover that I bought at the record store, and then I just proceeded to try to collect the top 100 punk songs. and So that took up a lot of my time trying to find all these records back then. Oh, wow. And it's a pretty fantastic list. Like, I think I find interesting is that even by this point like 82 this came out right jay sounds right yeah. um because i think it only goes up to 81 the the list of the, the records that came out but the just like the the kind of like international awareness that people had and i guess it's just mainly i don't think there's anything other than american and english records on this now that i'm going through it again but you know just like seeing the dead kennedy's so high up on the list but uh i guess they're a huge band by 81 82 yeah so so like number one on actually should we go 10 to one or or one to 10 10 to one right that makes more sense yeah okay <laughs> discharge decontrol at number 10 boom boom very important record talk about japanese hardcore and an important record to japanese hardcore a band that invented an entire subgenre of of punk the d-beat exactly. yeah uh, also hugely influential on Royal Trucks when Jennifer oh, from that, Royal, I didn't know that yeah when Jennifer from Royal Trucks was on the podcast she said that they were like the band that inspired her to hide beauty behind noise oh wow were they an influence on your Jay on the guitar stuff at all oh yeah definitely Bones was definitely uh, a big influence on me when I started guitar I only got to see him when Pooch was in the band, which was highly disappointing. But, uh, oh, well. That North American tour, I would love to see, like, a full documentary on because it seems like every show they showed up at, people were super bummed after the show. Oh, was that their first tour on the East Coast? I felt like it because I don't remember them playing. 
I think they had played like the West Coast when they were still kind of like a raging hardcore band, right? Because there's that photo of Crucifix right. in the front row watching them that's gone around online a couple times. Right. Um, but yeah, the East Coast tour. I know they played Montreal and they must have played Toronto. Uh, but yeah, they were not very well received at a lot of those shows. Yeah, it was terrible, I have to say. There's- I feel like Discharge had did somehow did a really good job with their merch. Meaning, like, I just remember a lot of pins, yeah, and and stuff. Like, I remember seeing the name before I ever heard their music. Mm-hmm. Fun they, to write on a leather jacket and stuff. Yeah, it looked good in whiteout. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> you definitely make that thing pop. Yeah, there's like uh, you know, like there's obviously platinum records, uh, you know, and gold records, but there should be like uh, a, a a certification for bands based on crusties wearing their patches on their clothes because oh, discharge yeah. would definitely be like triple burlap by this point totally yeah every generation of kid is going to rock a discharge patch it's like one of yeah. those ones that keeps going to this day okay so after that we've got at number uh nine stiff little fingers alternative ulster oh um, great yeah so this must be songs right this is songs on records yeah songs okay so I, I guess their yeah. numbers, their number, they're also like the next spot too. Stiff Little Fingers, yeah, one of the best bands of all time. Yeah, yeah, I remember a lot of the songs were singles, but some were on twelve inches and or album cuts and stuff. Um, and Vice Squad, uh, Last Rockers. I like Vice Squad, but I feel like, yeah, yeah, they're, they're, they've kind of like depreciated over time a little bit. Yeah, it doesn't uh, age well somehow. Or somehow, like, maybe my memory of them is wrong, but also, like, they kind of disappeared. Like, I felt like a lot of bands, like, kept touring, but something happened where, like, I remember hearing about them a lot and seeing their pictures, and then all of a sudden, there's just nothing. I mean, maybe they broke up, but they didn't have that sort of shelf life of people just talking about them. They just, everything just stopped. Like every time someone brings them up now, I always I still think, oh yeah, that's right. Vice Squad. It's interesting to look at like what kills off punk in America, where it's kind of hardcore coming in, and everyone talks about like, you know, uh, like Duff McKagan was just on the podcast and talked about when you know Seattle hardcore started, it kind of killed off the punk scene. There's all of that famous stuff about L.A., of course, and punk dying because the hardcore kids came in and killed it. But in England, it's like the Nazi stuff. I think just like a, right. a, a lot of these bands just had to break up and, and shows just got too violent and too, you know, you hear about that from bands that have been on the podcast, I find. I don't know about them, though, why they broke up. Yeah. But, um, don't you I, have their phone number? Just no. call. <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> I find... Uh, uh, I gotta have uh, what's what's her name, the singer of the band. I'm blanking on it now. Becky Bondage. Becky Bondage. Oh. Yeah, I would. Yeah, she should. I'd love to have her on the show at some point. But despite oh, no Becky Bondage, she kind of topped her look a little bit, maybe. Yeah, I'm sure Spike definitely knows Vice Squad. Spike yeah. Spike is a deep punk head, and didn't stop going to shows. Like she was going to shows when I started going to shows. Did you, Fred, did you watch Degrassi as a? younger person or are you familiar uh-huh. with Degrassi? i know what it is but i've never seen it never seen it 
<laughs> oh no, we got to remedy this. Yeah, we got, we'll send you a list of where to jump on in different seasons. Okay, great. But uh, Spike was uh, Amanda Stepto uh, was the, is the actor who portrayed Spike. And the thing is, they went out and cast like real kids for all these roles. Like it wasn't like nine hundred two and zero. These were like real high school kids. And so she's like a legit punk rocker who gets cast on this show and plays like a punk rocker on the show. And uh, yeah, just was going to shows back then went and saw dino right at the apocalypse club somewhere toronto famously but yeah, oh, didn't bookie hook that up or something Somebody. yeah dave bookman rest in peace yeah he was friends oh. with her and called her and said do you want to come down and hang out with dino jr and uh, yeah. she was a huge fan and and like still like she's still uh she's in ireland now um i guess in dublin when she was really? on the podcast but yeah Next time you guys go over there, I gotta. I'll try and get her. Uh, she'd love to come out to the show. Oh yeah, that'd be awesome. Yeah, They're, uh, but this show, it's like, it's like a cult thing. Like if you saw it, it just changes you. And if you lived on a border kind of town in the U.S., I guess it was on PBS, right? Yeah. So a lot of Americans got into it too. That's where Drake got his big start, right? Yep. Later, Degrassi. Yep, the next generation was the, the launching pad for Drake. A lot of, actually, not a lot. A few actors. Sinead Grimes, I think, had she was on that nine hundred two and zero reboot after she was on Degrassi. But yeah, Drake is definitely like the biggest star to come out of that show. He rapped in a couple episodes too, back then. Wow. Yeah. Said so Fred, you're missing out, man. Right. I, not for long. I'll I'll I'll, <laughs> I'll catch up. <laughs> you gotta watch Hated first. Yes. You still haven't watched. He has a copy of Hated, Jane. He's never watched it. I, I have. It's so funny. I have. I just looked at it upstairs. I have it. <laughs> but, <laughs> oh, I will. Yeah, sometimes it's you know hard to get in the mood. Yeah, to get ready. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's definitely a once in a year watch. You definitely don't want to watch. Someone was asking me about that. Was it today even? About and um, but he, you know, Gigi was relatively, you know, seemed pretty normal at practice and stuff. And it's just when he hit the stage where you know you see something change in his eyes, the X lax, the drugs. How pissed off were you at uh, afterwards that you did that show? <laughs> like, yeah, and then my big morph got stolen. My sound was gone. And it was a bad scene. Yeah, that show comes up a lot on this podcast. That first sort of, uh, I guess, Gigi come because you just got out of prison, right? I don't. Know. I didn't Think ask. <laughs> <laughs> It's amazing the people that worked with him too, like from Wayne Kramer to Didi Ramone to yourself. He he really did have an interesting circle of people around him. But I think it's because people just didn't think it was real until it was too late. Yeah, exactly. Or it seemed like a fun punk idea until the reality slaps you in the face. And you're like, God damn it. Yeah. Did you ever see uh, the Steel Tips, Joe Coleman's band? 
No, I never did. Oh man, no. I would never saw him either. But the videos are insane. All the firecrackers and stuff. The firecrackers, like just the rolling around on the floor, and and <laughs> some of his performance stuff, like the one where he empties a box of mice on his head and he's biting the heads off all the mice. <laughs> and... Oh, that sounds fun. <laughs> it's insane. Have you been to his house, Fred? I went to his um, his apartment, a, an apartment in Brooklyn. But I think he's got a house upstate now. But this apartment in, in Brooklyn was great. It was just like there was like a, <laughs> you know, when people's houses are so full of like art and artifacts, where that that's all you see. And there was just so many like there was like wax figures. And like a, you know, a baby corpse in a jar and formaldehyde and letters framed, like handwritten letters from people in jail. It's one of those things where everywhere your, eye, your eyes go, you're just like, what is this? I can't believe it. Um, and he's great. He's just so nice about it and fun about it. So it's, it just makes the whole experience fun. So, yeah, it was great. It was like a story. It's his place in New York was so storied. I think he called like the auditorium. Was that what he? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think so. Yeah. Like it. It feels like that's. Uh, yeah, like a museum. Talk about the Louvre. That's like the Louvre for crazy stuff. Do you ever see how he works? How he like? He's got those like. You know, I guess I call them glasses or something or whatever they are, just to really, you know, look up close and paint. With I guess like one bristle or something. It yeah, incredible like the technique. It's like horsehair brushes, right? And he's like doing like the most minute details yeah. of this person's life in those paintings. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I've only seen it a couple up close, maybe one up close when he was in Toronto for a signing one time. Mm-hmm. And and other than that, it's just been in books. But like even in the books, sometimes they'll do the the zoom ins, and you can kind of appreciate some of the details that he has going on. But seeing him in person, obviously, you can really yeah. like talk about a like a like a master level painter. Oh, he's inc- he's so great. <laughs> I have a friend who's in one of his paintings, a mutual friend, and that's like a different level of of existing in someone else's art there's like playing on someone's album but i'm like wow you're in a painting that's incredible (laughs) yeah yeah i think being immortalized anytime someone like you know and both of you have had this happen but like anytime someone gets a tattoo of you or something you did that is like a level of of appreciation and and just commitment that like it's almost like humbling in a way that you're like, man, I got to live up to this person having this on them for, I guess they can get it lasered off, but that's painful. So they, mm-hmm. they're, they're committed. I had a friend who was, was painted sitting in Veselka and was on their menu of him sitting in Veselka, eating at Veselka. I always thought that I was envious of that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Do you have a star on the Walk of Fame, Fred? No. Because you have to pay for it, right? Yeah. It's like $40,000, too. I don't know how much it is, but you have to get, like, approved by a board. And, yeah, it's like a – it's you, you pay for it. 
See that that's not a really that's not a cool thing. Like I'd much prefer to be in a painting than have my my <laughs> star on the walk of fame. Yeah. <laughs> There's no debt involved. No, what, I guess not. What about the guitar center has that now the Yeah. Like a walk of fame out front. Yeah, like you the handprints and stuff. I remember when Sonic Youth did that. That was pretty weird. At Guitar Center? Yeah. In Hollywood. Yeah. I wonder if they still do it. I feel like they did it for a while, but I I haven't heard of anyone new. Yeah. You know, yeah. like putting their handprint on there. I think they just must have done it for a while, but it's not like Courtney Barnett did it recently or anything like that. Or you know. Right. They shifted it on marketing of, initiatives. They're like, we gotta yeah. do, we gotta come up with something new than this. This is not going over the way we thought it would. But that's that's someone must have had a big dream about it. Like this is going to be great and we're going to keep this going. And yeah. then that's, you know, at some point it's just, it's probably too expensive to do or something. It, it feels like that's like every, uh, a lot of companies, right? Like, it's just like you have a change in management and then all these like lofty things are just like, yeah, fuck it. Let's not do this. Yeah, fuck, forget it. <laughs> there've been so many awards that have come and gone. There was like, I remember there was like the new music awards and, there was like I think they tried to do like the comedy awards. Block they did a comedy awards. awards. Yeah, I think they did a comedy awards, right? They for did some... it for a couple of years and then they just stopped. You know, the best was the horror movie awards. You remember that from the nineties and like Chucky no. hosted it. <laughs> no, <laughs> it was awesome. They're giving like special <laughs> effects guys awards and, and wow, taught you how to do special effects things during the commercial breaks crypt keeper was a presenter obviously wow it was it was a a good time for awards back then but you realize that eventually a lot of those awards you got to pay to get nominated for like the like grammys and junos which is the canadian grammys like you got to pay right like there's like a it's not a huge fee but there's a well in a way i mean it's more about like campaigning so you've got to put like money into the campaign you know and all that stuff but I think there's even still like hoping to, I'm still hoping to get a Juno one day. Maybe we can do a duet so I can get in on that. Yep. Like we can definitely get do in that. there. We, we can we you've you've we've done duets before. You know I me. Mean? Yeah. You know, we sang on you've sang on uh, two fucked up records. Blows my mind, Jay. Let's get that Juno thing going. I tell they've both been nominated for a Juno, so you know, really? one year we're like the Susan Lucci of Junos in the oh, wow. adult alternative category. <laughs> I visited the All My Children set, but Susan Lucci wasn't there that day. Whoa! How many times have you been to SNL set? Uh, I don't know, maybe ten. You've appeared on the show twice, I think, right? Yeah. And one time Tim brought you on and one time Fred brought you on. And I used to go visit Tim quite a bit and just stand there. Like when I remember when Jimmy page played with P Diddy, I was standing right next to him and first I laughed and then I got really sad. <laughs> and then I saw Jimmy page walking around backstage, all sweaty and destroyed. And I felt so bad. In a way, you paved the way for that with the Judgment Night soundtrack. 
Don't blame me for that. Come on. No, dude, you're on that. <laughs> you helped invent rap metal. You invented though, like that's you know the best song on that record, and Age is the best. I think. Like the other songs are are, are very rap metally. Sonic Youth one's not bad too. Teen Shankle one's sick. Well, we got to play on Arsenio. That was exciting. I love that clip. One of my favorite ever. You got like the sickest suit on too. I got an Arsenio bathrobe. That's cool. Oh, wow. Do you still have it? I think I have it because uh, I remember we had Mike D play drums and he had just been on with the Beastie Boys. So he had two bathrobes within like a couple <laughs> You you hold on to everything, right, Jay? Like you got all your records still and all your zines. Oh, I don't know. I can't tell. People could have stolen shit. I wouldn't know. Yeah, but like I mean, like you haven't ditched it ever. No, I've got a lot of records and stuff. Yeah. Do you hold on to your records, Fred? Uh, do you mean like records that I bought over time? Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. Like, but like, I mean, like from back in the day, like your old seven inches and stuff. Yeah. But some of them, you know, who knows where they ended up, like just from moving, but I've replaced them in their stead. So then there's stuff that I'm like, where did, what did I ever do with, you know, whatever. And then I remember it enough to be like, oh, I could always just, I'll just get it again. Um, I remember buying the first Nirvana single at, at Pier Platters in Hoboken, and then going to a party on Staten Island. I think it was 4th of July, and I left it there for some reason. And I got another one. That thing's like 10 grand now, too. I know. God damn it. It's somewhere in Staten Island. Yeah. <laughs> There's that story about Ben Blackwell from Third Man buying a test press for 600 bucks and everyone making fun of him. That test press has got to be worth like 30 grand. Oh, wow. Yeah. At this point, it's like, it's wild how expensive these records have gotten, especially Love Buzz. Love Buzz is like, like one of those records, not to rub it in, Jay. I feel like now I'm pouring just salt in the wound. Go ahead. I'm sorry. <laughs> Do you have a Love Buzz, Fred? <laughs> were, you, were you in a Nirvana, Fred? Yeah, but um, I feel like there were, you know, that wasn't out of, it wasn't hard to not be into Nirvana. Like they were just like, I feel like everyone around me was, and it was just pretty easy. I, yeah. I, I find though, like with um, like hardcore kids, like contemporaries to them, they're especially from that kind of area. A lot of them just didn't like Nirvana. Like Doug Marsh was on the podcast and was kind of like, yeah, I never liked Nirvana because I love Dinosaur Jr. And to me, they were just trying to sound like Dino Jr. Or as people say, they sound like Led Zeppelin. Like I, I love them. But I just find it very interesting um, how people around them kind of like, you know, would be just like, oh, they're just another band. And, you know, and then obviously. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, they had that. You know, they were just a band at one point, but then all of a sudden they were insanely huge. And that was on that tour with you guys too, right? When that starts with, because like they did that tour. Yeah, you, you can feel you could feel it. It was just like, wow, these guys are going to be huge. Oh wow! What did yeah. you think of that song the first time you heard it? Like smells like Teen Spirit. I mean, 
I thought that other song would be the hit, you know, the yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. they recorded that one first with Chad, and everyone was like, oh, this song is going to be huge. And we're, we're just like, Jesus, this song is amazing. So I thought that would be the hit, and then somehow they got Teen Spirit. Yeah, I mean, I liked it. I liked the whole album. It's funny because my youngest kid, like I play them everything, um, but he is obsessed. Or sorry, they 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 are obsessed with Nirvana. They are just like, 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 and it smells like Teen Spirit. And it's interesting because obviously they played on the radio, so they would have been exposed to it through that. But I think it's also just something about that song that just connects with people. I didn't really like it when it came, like when it first came out. I was not on board i think i was more team guns and roses at that point still um but then later on why were they separate teams at that point beef they beef they fought physically yeah but that was a bit later on yeah but i think it was like even like right away they refused to do that in nirvana like i like obviously you were into them as before they blew up and stuff but i think post them blowing up they remember hearing on rock radio that they refused to do a tour with guns and roses and my brother was my little brother was super into nirvana and i was like yeah. oh god no guns and roses for life buddy use your illusions volume one and two what are you talking about these are the classics <laughs> <laughs> i used to like the nirvana's videos too i think i saw i heard smells like teen spirit first as like the video mm. and i yeah. remember seeing the video and thinking that it looked like all the venues, you know, like when you just tour around, that was like the first video that I saw that like looked like, you know, the way people dressed and stuff. Um, so I, I like that, but also I like that they had a sense of humor. Mm -hmm. Like that video, you know, the one where like, they're like, it looks like they're in the fifties or whatever. And they were the early sixties. Yeah. Yeah, I'm like that's what I loved about the Dancer Junior uh, video too. Like you guys playing golf, I, like I love the song, and then I like was like, oh, this band's awesome and fun. And then uh, Dino Junior was like one the first show I went to. Oh really? Yep. Mm. With Tom mm. and Jejun. was Jejun on tour with you guys, or did they just jump on the Toronto show? June? Was it June? Oh, June. Sorry, yeah. They were on tour with us, too. Okay. Yeah, it was a great show. Riot's also in Toronto that night on Young really? It was de It was Devil's Night, I guess, and uh, there were riots in Toronto on Queen Street West. My parents were very scared when they came to pick us up in front of the show. Really? Yeah, they were very freaked out. Were you armed? I was a little kid, man. <laughs> I was definitely... <laughs> But Jay looked right out. I, I tell this to Jay all the time. Um, Fred, he looked right out the porthole window and looked right at me through the backstage. And I waved to him and he waved right back. Aww. And here we are all these years later. <laughs> oh, that's so nice. Let's, uh, let's go through this list a little more. Uh, okay, Sex Pistols. Into it? Yeah. Uh, what do they have? God Save the Queen, I think. Yeah, God Save the Queen. Nice. Yeah, of course. Uh, uh, yeah, it's a it's a classic. I don't think that's the best yeah. song on the record. I like no. I like I think Bodies is my favorite song by them. 
Holidays in the Sun is pretty great. Mm. Oh. Yeah, that's such a weird little guitar part. Yeah. And you've played with Steve Jones. Like he played he played on your last show, right? With Jay on your last yeah. show. I, I did a couple things with him. He, um he's great. He's got like the thickest accent I've ever heard. And he lives in LA, but he's got like such I, I could hear him talk all day. I think the professionals, if if they had been so if he had been a little more sober during that point because i think he admits that he was pretty fucked up those songs are fucking unreal like there's a like that demos record that came out is incredible the professionals played in amherst i saw them it was back then yeah you oh. did yeah wow whoa how was that it was all right it wasn't the greatest but it was all right Amherst had good shows. Last rights only show ever. Yeah, well, you know, it was a college town, so some stuff would come through. Yeah. Uh, Elliot Smith went to college there. Yeah. They they said um they were saying that what's the other band? Um the other Gobblehoof, Gobblehoof was yeah. like what inspired them to start Heat Miser, their band. Right. They were huge, huge fans of it. So, Did you guys like um, PIL? Yeah. Yeah. Were you at that show, Fred, and when they played in New York? No. <laughs> there was a riot. I heard too, about right? it, but yeah. That was a really good place to go, the Ritz. I saw mm-hmm. a bunch of bands there. Booked yeah. by Michael Lago, I think, used to book it. Oh, really? I think so. I know he booked that Bill oh, show. That would make sense. Uh, the clash, white riot. I, wow, I wouldn't not have my fa- not my favorite. No, no, it's weird. Like, is that the only clash song in the first? Yeah, it's like not a lot of clash on this at all. Um, that's a funny song to pick. I mean, I, I get that it's a great song, but there's so many others that I like more. Uh, then so above that we have Jay's favorite antipasti, no government, ridiculously <laughs> high on this list at number three. Yeah. <laughs> Do you back that placement, Jay? I guess I have to. You have to ride. <laughs> <laughs> they they uh, weren't the best live band, but that song is awesome. The song is great. The singles are, are great. Never saw them live, but um, I'm, yeah, I'm a huge fan of the singles. Did I skip? I somehow skipped the Dead Kennedys, uh, which were at number seven, Holiday in Cambodia. Not my favorite Dead Kennedys song, but I guess they're most popular, so it would make sense that that would be that high on the list. Yeah. Well, is but is California Uberalis more popular? I don't know. I think Holiday in Cambodia. Yeah, I guess you're right. But that is a pretty crazy uh, drum beat that you never hear anywhere in punk or in any anything. It's such a, I just never hear that, uh, yeah, that beat. Yeah. Guitar-wise, too. It's like some weird, unique guitar playing. Like, the Dead Kennedys are, are musically a, a very uh, interesting band. Maybe Scratch Acid used that beat later or something, I think. I somehow remember. Um, I just uh, was talking to 
John from Portugal, the man, and he told me he saw Jesus lizard play speaking of scratch acid, but saw Jesus lizard play in Alaska one time. Wow. And then unsane played in Alaska too. Oh, wow. The venue went out of business shortly thereafter. So I don't think noise rock was really the, the, the draw that I, they'd hoped it would be. I went to Alaska and went to a gig and they were doing all like kind of like alternative nation covers of the day. I remember it was like kind of a metal band, but they were doing like breeders and whatever was on like 120 minutes kind of, cause they were like the only band. I guess you had to cover a lot of ground. If you were a band in Alaska, just kind of play whatever. Well, Fred, Fred went up there recently, right? Fred and performed. Yeah. Did a show there a couple months ago, whatever, three months ago. It was great. I loved it. I'd never been. Oh, nice. And I hit Fred to um, punk rock legends from Alaska, Skate Death. Hmm. And one of the one of the guys from Skate Death was there, so he was very <laughs> pleased about that. Oh wow! I would say though that, that they are probably the biggest hardcore band that I can think of from certainly the 80s in alaska so you know it worked out well i'm glad i didn't try and go super obscure with the bands that i was no. tipping you to all right now we're, we're, we're at the number two position the damned new rose my, my favorite of the big three british punk bands well they've proven they have the, the most lasting you know they still sound good today they're still playing and so they've won the longevity battle i guess yeah they were really fun to tour with captain had some amazing stories he tour managed crass wow early on (laughs) (laughs) Um, he lived at dial house while he was recording that record with them and and yeah like it was fascinating he also smokes uh like backwoods which are normally what you use to roll weed in you know, like yeah. the, make a blunt, but he smokes backwood cigars, just like straight up. So did Watt. Watt does it too. He did when I toured with him. Yeah, he was into backwoods. Damn, that is a. Wow. Uh, it, it's harsh. I, I definitely had to partake in one with the captain because he was telling me crass stories. But it was I was paying for it that night on stage. A lot of. Uh, a lot of hacking, a lot of coughing, but they're but they're one of my favorite bands ever. I love the Damned so much. I think I've seen the Damned with Jay. We saw them in yeah. Hollywood, whatever you know, five years ago or four years ago or something. But God, I, I can't get enough of them. The new record's good. They never got bad. They're like one of the only bands that you can say that about. Donald yeah. Junior too. And Rat Scabies is back. I'm psyched to see that. Yeah. Will, who was playing drums with him on the tour we just did, was incredible. And I think it, I mean, obviously, seeing him with Rat will be incredible again. But having Will there just as a sort of engine driving it, they were fucking awesome on that tour. They were oh, wow. so good. Dave Vanian didn't really talk to me at all, except for the last day of tour. I took a set list off the stage and I went up to him, I'm like, Dave, do you mind signing this for me? He's like, Well, I do, but I will. <laughs> He goes, you know, I'll never forget this tour. You scared me. And then handed back the cellist. <laughs> wow. 
Yeah. That's pretty cool. I was like, that's fucking awesome. Like, yeah. I'll take it. But they are, yeah, they're they're one of my favorite bands of all time. And then number one, of course, Anarchy in the UK by the Sex Pistols. Woohoo. Yeah, very obvious. Very, very, you know, run of the mill, obvious and not so great. I think let's just skip to the pusshead one. I mean, let's just yeah, let's skip to the pusshead one because we don't have to go through all the other ones. Johan Kugelberg, who it was very bitter at you taking his job in the action swingers, Jay. Yes, I know. Talk shit on you in that book. Yeah. Anyway, we don't have to get into that now. We'll skip that. So going over to Pusshead's list. You why did why did you never get Pusshead to do art for you? Did he ever do deep wound art? Anything? No. I feel like there's something, right? I don't remember. Like a sticker? Why do I have a sticker in my head? Oh my what about god. A label. Mm. A label, yeah. Is it the label? Man, I feel bad about not knowing this. Um and I but I think you should feel worse about not knowing it to be honest, if I'm gonna be frank about it. So I, I you know. Yeah, well we all love puss heads, so what are you gonna do? <laughs> all right. Number uh number ten on the puss head list of uh, Fred, by the way, this is the puss zone list of the best records from the 80s. Okay. Uh, we have Antisect, In Darkness, There Is No Choice. And he has the whole seven inch up there. Uh, it's, this is, sorry, this is an LP. Bold, bold placement for this record. I, I like this record, but I don't know if I'd have it this high. Were you an Antisect fan, Jay? I don't know it. No, should I get it? Yeah. Oh, definitely. All right. I guess it... When was your UK cutoff? Is it 82? Is that like your peak years for liking UK stuff? And then you kind of got more in the American stuff? Yeah, I'm pretty much out after 83. So, yeah. And it, it, 83 is when American hardcore really kind of, you know, certainly in Boston, all those records are out as illustrated by the second record on the list, number nine, I should say. Jerry's Kids, Is This My World? Boston hardcore classic. Jay. Well, Fred, are you into them? Did you see it? I remember Jerry's Kids, yeah. Did you ever yeah. see them? I never saw them, no. Okay. I saw them a few times. I've played with them. Deep Moon played with them. But I do, I have to say, I like them better with the singer, like the Boston, not LA Jerry's Kids, better than the. Really? <clears throat> this one without the singer, the, the brother. I mean, I do like it, but I, I like the singer one better. I love this LP. machine gun. <laughs> I, I love this LP. Uh, I don't have oh, a I, like it. I just I prefer when they had the brother singing. Well, I think that's the other thing is like when you experience a band live in especially in their prime, you're gonna have a different relationship to it than you know yeah. someone like myself. Uh rudimentary P9. Uh, I love this fucking record. Me too, yeah. You know that you were in the craft stuff, Fred. Mm, more, I'd say more recently than back back then. Um, it's yeah, that's sort of. I don't know if this happens to you guys, but where like, you just miss something. Like I kind of just missed them. Yeah, sure. And when they were around, like I, I don't know why, you know, but just I wasn't, you know, aware enough. I remember seeing their logo, but that's it. Well, you're kind of at the mercy of people to turn you on to stuff. Exactly. And so, yeah, like whatever your friends were into, 
was going to be yeah. what you wind up being into or what the record store had, what the record store was putting on to you at the time. Yeah. Like, I'm fascinated. You know that band Empire? You ever heard those, that record? Yeah. You, you know that, like that Empire record, it's like ha- the other half of Generation X. So like half becomes, you know, Billy Idol. And then uh, the other half becomes this band Empire that did one seven inch and, and one LP, one 12 inch. Uh, and that's it. And they're kind of critical, I guess, commercial flops, but they wind up in the hands of Discord people at yesterday and today, and everyone just falls in love with it. And it kind of becomes the foundation for that sort of post-punk or post-hardcore Discord sound. Oh, wow. That Embrace and all those bands were kind of doing. And then Duff McKagan was telling me that they also fell in love with that record at Roosevelt High School, and all the kids in his class were like obsessed with that record and hugely informative on his sound and, and affected the way he plays bass in Guns N' Roses. And it's oh, amazing. Wow. Yeah, the impact of this thing is, is wild. That should be on this you, list. You should write a book. Me? About- you really should. Yeah, but I, I don't know. I don't. I don't. <laughs> okay. All right. Now, if you guys are both saying it, maybe I should. But we yeah. could, we should, we go. You guys can write the forewords when you can okay. write the forward and when you can write the afterward. Great. I did buy the Empire record because everyone told me about that. Back then? Not back then, but more recently. Were you into that Discord, like Fugazi, and or even before that, kind of the Revolution Summer stuff when it was happening? What's that? Like, Embrace, Rights of Spring. I like Rights of Spring. Yeah, that was maybe the last era of Discord I really liked. Would you play with those bands ever in the early Dino years? Like, would that your scenes kind of cross over? No. Would you play with Laughing Hyenas? Did you play yeah. Laughing Hyenas back then? Yeah. yeah. It's interesting how there's certain bands that kind of like exist in both worlds, like Laughing Hyenas would play with those bands a little bit too. And then of course play with you guys. It's a, we played with laughing hyenas. Trenchmouth did. I love that band. Yeah. Yeah. They were great. Amazing. And John, John is like the Frank Sinatra of screamers where his voice gets better as he gets older and he gets more control of it. So like you can like, the progression of his stuff from the static to negative approach to laughing hyenas to easy action. It's just, it's so amazing. I want him to do like a Nick cave style record. Like a Johnny. Did one, of them, did one of them pass away? Did Larissa die? Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Very sadly. In New York, uh, like late nineties or mid nineties. Um, yeah, that was sad. Yeah, and uh, that L seven record just got reissued by Third Man, and her stuff on that is incredible. She yeah. seems like a, a real key figure in that early Detroit scene, from what everyone's told me. Yeah, uh, but that, um, yeah, the 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 Laughing Ionis records that got reissued are fantastic and the originals are fantastic too but it's good that they're getting kind of a a new uh lease on on a new release on people uh okay number seven on this list 
disorder, complete disorder. I fucking love this seven inch. Yeah. Pretty high though. <laughs> I like the second one too. I like the second one too. And there's another disorder uh, from the same time period or maybe a year earlier that sometimes gets confused as being the same band that also has an incredible single. And then there's another disorder that disorder had an air raid single. And there's another disorder that has another single from the same kind of era of, of British punk, all slightly kind of different sounding, but all fantastic. It's a good name. We should form a band called disorder. Mm Mm-hmm. What about chaotic disorder? Ma- a mashup. There is a chaotic disorder. Is there? Yeah. Fuck religion. <laughs> fuck politics. Fuck the lot of you. <laughs> One of their songs. Nice. Um, and they're on tour again too. So there you go. Because the guy that was guitar teching for the Damned also plays in Chaotic Disorder to bring it full circle. Really? Yeah. Uh, next up on the list, we have TSOL, uh, the first 12 inch, which I can't believe, man, that's a $500 record now, Canadian. So probably like $300 American. I'm looking at Discogs right now so I can see all the prices of this, these things. Man, I should have picked it up when it was cheaper. You ever feel that with records? Wish you had a time machine so you could buy it when it was all cheaper still. Of course. Same uh, goes for seeing bands, you know, like who you know were just playing nearby and then like i thought well i'll just go see them some other time yeah yeah there's definitely like a lot of stuff that i just wasn't ready for that i could have seen and now i'm yeah. like oh shit why was that this show and when i could have been at that show instead right next up on the list a band i think we all wish well yeah, actually you probably both saw them when they were in their uh prime the bad brains with the Roar cassette. Oh, yeah. Yeah, probably the best show I've seen, I would say. Where? Which one? It was in Boston. I remember they were late, so uh, they only played like 20 minutes, all hardcore, no reggae. The place went bananas. Yeah. Rick Okasik was there, I remember. I guess that was the famous show where people threw snowballs at Rico Casey. Did you throw a snowball? I didn't know. Fred, what was your, uh, did you ever see him? Uh, only later. Like one of the reunion shows at CBGB's, but um, they're just the greatest. They're just, you know, mm-hmm. just one of the greatest bands ever. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, it's wild. Like they watched that eighty-two CBGB's video or that seventy-nine. Oh, it's too. It's too much. It's yeah. crazy. There's just nothing better. It's just. It's so good. Ivan Julian had this funny story when he was on the podcast that he was like, "Yeah, I used to smoke hash joints with HR back in high school. We went to high school together in in DC, and he would come out. He was a couple years younger than us, and we'd all smoke these joints in at, at school together. And then he's like, years later, I'm walking." by cbgb's and i hear this band playing in there and i go in and i'm like oh my god that's the dude i used to smoke joints with and he saw the bad brains and said it was just it would have been like 79 too so it would have been that that suits era which is oh yeah yeah oh that looks so good so so yeah they're 
without a doubt. So that, yeah, I would, I might even have that higher on my list. But uh, next up, yeah. minor threat, minor threat. Yeah. This record now goes for uh, five thousand Canadian dollars. Wow. You got a copy, Jay? You know, me and uh, the bass player in Deep Wound bought it the same week from Discord, and I got the yellow one. He got the red one. I was pissed. I asked Ian about that. He said he'd give me a red cover if I wanted it, but he said the yellow one was rarer, so that made me happy. Let's see what the rare. Let's see what the yellow one goes for. Right now, can't be as much. But... Uh, well, sometimes it's weird things like that, like um, the second press which is technically i guess the first press of the poison idea seven inches on clear and it goes for more than the black vinyl version so maybe this will be one of those rare ones where it does do that uh, let me see well i have both of the poison idea so i'm covered you're definitely set they are like i can't like i would have poison idea very high on my list but i guess puss had put out one of their records so maybe you felt i can't really have them that high on the list oh yeah why can't I find the yellow cover version? Oh, there it is. Yellow sleeve goes for currently none for sale, but the last one was for a thousand dollars. So definitely get the red sleeve from Ian. Yeah. Hit him up and then ask him to come on the podcast while you're at it. The label's a different color too. So, it would... oh, yeah. Yeah. Ask him for, ask him just for a first press. Yeah. Look it up. <laughs> I got fucked. Come on, man. Yeah. <laughs> uh all right we're wrapping this uh list up we're gonna end uh strong on uh on uh the uh pusshead list of the uh greatest 80s hardcore records subhumans demolition war number three i i have a canadian bias for the canadian subhumans so uh i will abstain from this one were you guys subhumans fans i don't really know them I have that record and did enjoy it, but I wouldn't have it that high up, I guess. It's very high. They, I will say, we played with them six or seven years ago, and they were fucking awesome. Like, as good as I've any video I'd seen of them from back in the day. They were just still raging. And they never stopped, too. They, could, they went into, I think, Culture Shock and then Citizen Fish. And then back to the subhuman. So they kind of kept going the whole time. Like the Mekons, you know, like one of those those groups that are with us the whole way through the sort of punk journey. Number number two, SSD control. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Get it away. Get it away, even. Nice. Yeah. I I like kids rather say more than get it away. I, which yeah. I think is a dissenting opinion on it because I think a lot of people think Get Away is the better record. No, I like the first one better, but you know, Glue is hard to can't argue with Glue. That song's pretty awesome. Yeah, yeah, probably one of the most covered hardcore songs ever at this <laughs> point. We've really? covered it, you and me. Nice. Yeah, I, I've covered it with Fucked Up. It was one of the first songs we ever covered. Wow. Do you ever see SSD, Fred? Never, never did. But they're great. And um, my friend, Boy Kenny, who was in the KGB, loved them. Yeah. I would, I, I would like say, for me, they're like the first, like, pure hardcore band. 
because I think up until that band, like all the hardcore bands have been kind of influenced by punk and just kind mm. of taken it their own place. But when you talk to Al, and I think Springer was definitely influenced by punk. Al kind of hates punk. He liked the UK, the hard stuff, the and it seems like he didn't really like any of that Boston punk stuff at all. Well, he, it doesn't seem. He said straight up he didn't like it. Yeah. So for him, it was like SSD was a hardcore band, and he was playing guitar for a hardcore band. So, yeah, they're there to me where it starts, and there's a break. And a band that you know, like changed everything afterwards like change like obviously Ian invents straight edge but they're the band that i think takes it from this sort of idea and turns it into like a movement and al gave us a gig which i'm still grateful for we got to play with mdc and ssd in boston thanks al that was a good show yeah that would have been uh pretty sick al al's awesome al i guess has, is having a big surgery coming up so shout out to him but someone i got to meet through this podcast that just loomed like you grew you were around all this shit as it was going down but like just loomed so large in legend so to meet him now and he's he's a really sweet human being yeah. but the boston crew seems like it would have been kind of terrifying to be a kid around a little bit it was yeah for sure and a lot of influential people came out of that um in skateboarding obviously as well and just a a very important kind of shift that happened in hardcore with those guys and their approach to just i guess being hard which becomes a, a main tenant of hardcore which i guess was in the west coast too but it, it feels like it changed a little bit with ssd they could put their money where their mouth is those guys you know yeah okay number one on the list actually fred who was the most intimidating band for you as a kid um not intimidating but i think the cramps were like really scary yeah. um but they were still enjoyable i got to see them at the peppermint lounge but for me now that we're talking about Murphy's Law from that show, I remember like they really seemed tough to me. So not intimidating in a bad way, but they just did seem like, whoa, you know, it, it was more than just a band. It's interesting too, how that happened in New York. Cause like the, the, like the Boston kids show up and it, it's the stuff of legend kind of beat up and the Washington DC kids show up and they kind of beat up on, the New York kids a little bit. Yeah. And then the New York kids got really fucking hard. And yeah, Agnostic Front, Murphy's Law, Cro-Mags, like all those bands are like, just like no joke. Yeah. But, yeah. Something about that all definitely seemed intimidating. Mm -hmm. Well, it is one of the most intimidating hardcore scenes. And it's fascinating how it spreads like that too, where it's, the DC guys going out to LA, seeing the LA hardcore thing and how it was being done there, bring that back to DC and then going around, obviously Boston takes on to it and becomes the Boston hardcore thing. And then they go to New York and then New York becomes hard out of it. It's, it's almost like trauma inflicting trauma on people after a certain point. Mm. And then 
the reaction is just to become harder. Yeah. I guess like oh, go ahead. Oh, I saw um you know the UK subs anti Noah league show and in New York and I didn't hadn't been to a Boston show yet. And uh but we saw all these guys just like beating the crap out of everyone and then the next week I saw SSD and Mission of Burma in Boston and realized all those guys who were wailing on everyone were the Boston crew and a lot of them were in SSD and so then yeah I realized that the Boston guys came to New York and just like wailed on everybody and so that was interesting but not not Mission of Burma right with I, I picture them as like a little more peaceful Oh yeah, they were definitely not. <laughs> no. I find it interesting. Uh, did, does Al like Mission of Burma? I can I couldn't even tell. I think Springer might have liked him, but I Springer does does well. At least I think he's put him on his playlist recently. Um, yeah. Even, but uh, yeah, with Al, I don't think he did. Like he doesn't seem to have any time for like even Lepest and and yeah. bands that are like more aggressive. It's. It's interesting. I got friends like that now that hate punk, that only like hardcore. And yeah. I find that fascinating because I'm like, how can you separate the two? It's like Murph. He hates jazz but loves fusion. What? <laughs> <laughs> that is totally bizarre. Um, yeah. uh, the, uh, the, the um, change that kind of happens, though, um, at that time, like it's amazing how that's still the culture now. Like the the fighting at shows, the like the mosh pits, the all that stuff just eventually gets exported kind of around the world, so it becomes a thing. Like it, it, Murphy's Law, at that before it was Murphy's Law, Jimmy sang in another band called the Cavity Creeps, and they had this song called Pain. And when they would play Pain, they would just line up on one side of the room and Wall of Death everybody in the show and they called it pain because everyone would be screaming out in pain and uh that's still done kids are still walling deathing each other all these years later all at giant festivals now yeah my kid wants to go to a rap show where they do a lot of that in a stadium oh is is that gray days tour i don't know who's just suicide boys I can't tell you. He showed me a video. (laughs) Ghostmate? Is it? (laughs) I'm I'm trying to stay young and hip. So I'm I'm into the the modern rap. (laughs) Uh, Okay, number one, Discharge, Fight Back. I I think we already discussed Discharge. That feels safe as number one. Yeah. I I think I put the Bad Brains at number one. I think I have Poison Idea in the top ten. Um, the only weird thing about Bad Brains is it was a cassette, so that made it somehow weird. Yeah, yeah. later when it, they pressed it on an album, but yeah, I think the the first seven inch could be up there. Yeah, that Johan Kugelberg on his list has that. Uh, I think is number one. Oh, number two, Electric Eels is number one for Johan Kugelberg, which I think I would definitely put on my list of punk records. That's. Have you had that record? No. Fred, have you heard that shit? Mm-mm. Oh my god, agitated by the electric eels. It's like I think they wrote it in 74. It didn't come out till later 
when uh, Rough Trade put it out. But right. they are, that's like the arguably like the first punk record. Kind of post wow. rock from the tombs, but um and then he's got bad brains, pay to come. Black flag, nervous breakdown. It's weird Puss that doesn't have that on there. Um Dick's Hate Police, unbelievable song. Gasoline Killer Man from France. Johan's list is cool because it's got like a lot of international stuff of Saints and victims from Australia. Um it's Euro. He's got he's got some European stuff. He's got criminal guitarra from uh, Sweden. And then the nasal boys rounding out his top ten. So he's got a, he's got quite the list. But I would also have Deep Wound very high up on mine, Jay. And I feel like uh, it is very it should be much higher than it is on the Pusshead list. I would definitely put it over the Anti Sect LP. All right, thanks. Have you heard the Have you heard the Deep Wound stuff, Fred? Oh yeah, so so awesome. It's fantastic. Yeah, I like the race for speed that deep wounds on uh siege would be later on i guess on it and then neos were certainly on it too but like bands that were like kind of proto grind even mm -hmm. like yeah grind? i think we felt a kinship to the neos we both had a similar uh just quest for speed it's fascinating because you know who else loved the Neos and has even covered the Neos on a record to bring this conversation full circle? No effects. Hey. Uh, I thought you were going to say Johnny Rotten. No, <laughs> no, no effects, Jay. That's that's Hello. the bonding. You, you and Mike might kind of do a duet sometime. <laughs> the Neos song. Neos, yeah. What song did they do? <laughs> Uh, they do, uh, what's it called? But they, they don't even credit the Neos on the seven inch. They credit the song to stupid fucking Canadians. Oh, that's not nice. Beef for life. Fat Mike was trolling me before he even fucking knew me, Fred. That's how deep that shit went that you went. Jeez. That was like, that was some evil force shit. Anyway. This has been some amazing positive force shit. Thank you both for coming on the show. Uh, I love. Thank you. I love that this came together. Thanks for thanks for having me and us. Yeah, cool.